Hey, how you doing? Welcome to this special edition of the Fell Pony Podcast. I'm Tom Lloyd, and it's really lovely to have you here again. Today, I'm going to take you on an adventure, travelling over 300 kilometres of wilderness to the most northwesterly point of Scotland. I would like to introduce my guest, mountain leader, wilderness guide and adventurer, Eliza Brown, who has literally just returned from her month-long journey with one of my own mares, nine-year-old Haytill Pansy. Eliza, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm tired, <laughs> but I'm good. I'm slowly recovering. Um, it's a bit weird to be back in a different routine to what I've just been in for the last 18 days, so... But I'm good. <laughs> Coming back to reality. <laughs> this is actually the first time I've seen you since you set off with Pansy for the Highlands. Yeah, the last time I saw you was me uh, disappearing with a trailer on back and Pansy in tow. So um, it's quite surreal seeing you. Yeah, lots happened since I last saw you. <laughs> it looked like just such an epic adventure. Um, so, you know, in a nutshell, how, how was it? It was a wholesome, adventurous um simple in the sense like the style of travel I just got my rhythm and stuck with it I learned a lot it was really communal far more communal than I thought it would be trust building is probably a really good way to describe it and and companionship and I'd say rough and wild was this definitely another couple of words to to summarize the experience but it was super challenging in so many ways it was pretty um tough going every day but I felt like my personality and the sort of person I am just completely fitted into the whole experience it just suited me down to a T um so I'm so so uh happy that it went the way it went um because I went into it not really knowing what it was going to be like or if I would be successful at all I'd added a whole new dynamic into this whole plan being the pony and um initially I thought oh god have I made the wrong decision here but slowly but surely we've figured it out <laughs> yeah as I said at the beginning in the intro you've done so much at such such a young age you know sailing private chefing wilderness first responder trainee polar guide if it's all right let's go right back to the start so you grew up in the outdoors on a farm where you learned you learned the tools to live off the land so tell me about your early days uh, and whether were there any horses at that time Yeah, I mean, I started riding, I was very lucky to start riding at age three. My mum chucked us on the back of tiny little ponies that had attitude from day, like, yeah, from a very young age. Um, and they were the sort of ponies that we'd get from a random farm in Shropshire. Uh, they'd shove you in hedges and buck you off every chance that they could get. So I suppose from, from a very early age, I learned how to fall off and get back on again. And I'm really, really grateful that I had that opportunity uh, to learn how to look after an animal, rain, wind or shine, um, and just shoveling poo every day. The, the, it taught me a lot um, very, very early on. And, and then I sort of progressed with time into competing. I, I got the hook for it. My sister was offered the same experience, but she, she decided not to continue with riding, but 
but I definitely got the bug for it and um, took it all the way through till I was 18. And I suppose alongside that, uh, growing on up on a very rustic farm in the middle of nowhere, it gave me the practical sorts, the practical tools to really thrive outdoors. Um, I basically lived like a feral child. <laughs> I had pet ferrets and stick insects and made worm farms and <laughs> I was really like the curly haired child at the end of a very bumpy old lane. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that I had that as a childhood. Um, there was nothing luxurious about it. It was sort of, we made, made did with what we had and um, we, we definitely lived off the land and it was very wholesome. And I suppose I didn't really appreciate that until I left home. It just was my norm and until I got outside that little bubble that I was living in, I realised how lucky I was to have learnt the things that I did through my childhood and I've definitely got my parents to thank for that. I think, if I've got this right, you went on to compete on horseback as a member of the British Eventing Association. Yeah. Um, so, what kind of horses were they? For the eventing, it was a thoroughbred uh, called Finnegan, who we've still got, actually. My mum, he retired when he was 19, and my mum then took him on and has been looking after him since, just riding around the block. But he was amazing. Um, he was my transition from ponies uh, that I just did sort of pony club with and fun rides and stuff uh, he was my transition to sort of taking it all a bit more seriously and it all kind of fell about by chance because the lady a lady called Dina Webster she live lived in our village still does live in our village um, unfortunately when she was very young she had a, a motorbike accident that left her um, disabled she still rode but um, she entered like para um, events so she wanted to hand Finnegan on to somebody and she'd see me riding around the roads on my tiny little ponies just sort of flying about and um, she sort of gave me this opportunity to take this horse on and it took six months of me cycling to her yard every day and getting to know the horse until she agreed to let him move over to our house and yeah, we just gave it a go. We did it all on a whim. There was Again, there was nothing fancy about it. We'd always turned up to these events feeling a bit like the trailer trash <laughs> by all these big lorries. But it was just satisfying getting around the whole thing, like the dressage show jumping across country and the occasional rosette was there. And it was just so awesome. And it, it taught me a bit of grit <laughs> and determination. But yeah, really lucky to have got a horse that kind of knew his job, but also gave me a bit of a run for my money and, and I had to really tell him what was what. So yeah, that was kind of my eventing experience. So where 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 did the idea, desire, whatever, um, you know, travelling with horses, where, where does that come from? I mean, meeting you. I just remember coming across Fell Pony Adventures in the Daily Telegraph. There was a tiny little article uh, about like, adventures around the best adventures around the UK and I spotted yours and I really wanted to get like combine my expedition work with ponies and I, yeah, I just remember sending you my CV and it was all when the pandemic was kicking off and since my experience with you doing that four-day trek um, I just like light bulbs went off in my head because initially I'd attempted this expedition solo and 
injured myself in the process because I was trying to do it solo I was carrying a lot of gear and I think the weight impacted that injury so the light bulb moment was ah a pony could carry my gear (laughs) and the fact that I have this relationship with ponies and horses already it kind of like just sat really well with me why the Cape Wrath trail what give me some information about Cape Wrath and, and what happened on the first time you attempted it do you know what? I, it's interesting. I, I can't actually put my finger on why Cape Wrath. I think I just wanted to go and push myself through local wilderness, local being like within the UK. And I'd heard about the Cape Wrath Trail through working uh, with a company called Secret Compass, just through chat with fellow colleagues. And I was like, hmm, that sounds like something I'd really like to challenge myself uh, with. So I... And as well, because I was going through the expedition process and trying to grow the ladder, I kind of wanted to find something that I could test myself and learn about myself on my own in the wilderness. So it ticked all the boxes and that's kind of how I suppose it all started and I started digging into how I can make it happen. But there wasn't really any like sentimental reason behind it. It was just a purely an idea to challenge myself because I somehow love to do so. <laughs> Cape Wrath is is a trail through the Highlands of Scotland to the most northwestern point of the Highlands. Is yeah, that right? the Cape Wrath Trail is um, basically from Fort William to Cape Wrath, which is a lighthouse that sits on the north coast of Scotland, just by a town called Durness. It is known as like the last wilderness in the UK. And it's about 400 kilometres if you follow the exact route. There's a book about it and there's also like like a guidebook. And then there's also um, two maps that go with it that can kind of that like explicitly define what the Cape Wrath Trail is. But it's unmarked trail. Um, there's a lot of navigation involved and reading the ground and the terrain. You have to be pretty... Uh, ready for pretty wild location it is remote and challenging it's not really something like going going up to Snowdon it, it's it's pure wilderness or, or wild land I should refer it to because it is managed um, so yeah that's basically the Cape Raft, Cape Raft Trail. Tell me about the first you know first few days how you got into it because you'd, you'd actually planned this quite well hadn't you? Yeah, I mean, it was nice because I just got back from an expedition in Svalbard. So I was quite like in the right mindset to go straight into an expedition like this. Um, and I actually took a lot of the things that I learned from polar exploration and polar travel and put it into pony travel. There are quite a few tricks that work for both. And it was really nice, actually, to to have them so close together, those two expeditions. So I used all the sort of expedition skills that I've learned over the years and packed my bags in a way that I felt knew, I knew best for what I was doing. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of pre-planning involved in this whole thing, especially the gear and contacting the estates that I was passing through. So once all of that was out the way, I came up to you, Tom, picked up Pansy with uh, with a trailer. My mum drove and I drove in turn all the way up to um, Glenfinnan, which was where I, I had decided to start. It's just slightly further up than Fort William. And yeah, we spent the day, one day there acclimatising. So I had a full 24 hours with Pansy acclimatising and I did a short well, it was like a two-hour uh, walk around that area. Uh, you'll have to wait till you watch the film that's coming out later this year, but it was pretty stressful, I'm not going to lie. 
that was when I was just like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Pansy had beans because she obviously had been traveling for a long time. And I haven't spent enough time with these ponies or like it has been a while since I've done it. So I was kind of going into this baptism of fire and I totally know that. Um, but yeah, it all sort of hit me on the acclimatization day pretty hard. Um, I was like, oh God. And also the fact that I was back after in that same place that I was exactly a year before. And yeah, it was just all quite a lot on the first day. Uh, I'm glad I had that acclimatization day, but it was a lot. <laughs> so a lot of emotions going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was quite stressed, but I was trying to keep my cool and my calm. And there was a camera in my face and I was like, oh my God, and my mum was there. <laughs> and I was just like, oh gosh, what am I doing? I, I look back at the first day and I was like, oh my God, things, things definitely evolved. And then I suppose from that first day, I set off on the 3rd of May and it was an emotional goodbye and it, it's it's pretty, it was hard. I, that we were challenged pretty abruptly um, from setting setting off. There was steep ground and, and I left everybody. It was just me and the pony. The weather wasn't that kind and it was a shock to the system and I definitely say it was emotional for me. Um, that wasn't caught on camera. <laughs> I just sort of like, walked and tried to get my routine and learning Pansy's capability like the ground we went over the first day we were sliding down steep rocky terrain and I was so nervous and she just nailed it and I was just like freaking <laughs> freaking out <laughs> but she put that that day in itself set the tone for the rest of the trip in terms of getting all the all the worry out the way and I suddenly realized for after that first day and the acclimatization day that this pony knows exactly what she's doing. And that was, uh, yeah, a lot of learning in day one for me uh, and a lot of like realization that this, yeah, she was so ready for this um, and I just needed to trust her um, and let her do her thing. So yeah, the first few days was were interesting. <laughs> spent a lot of time planning but where you know where did you stay at night you know did you did you kind of you got a route and you were sticking to it or how did that work oh man the plan changed by the day I mean having a pony as you know Tom no matter where you go it you've got to think four legs and fences and is there a gate rivers all of those things so I definitely did not follow the Cape Raft Trail there were elements of it and because of that I didn't really plan too far ahead so in terms of camping I literally just like set my routine for the day and by the time I was sort of tired I'd have like a rough idea where I wanted to get to I'd always just make sure that if I was camping I'd have fresh water grass hopefully and a pretty like flat spot for for me to sleep put my pitch my tent and sleep on but that was never always the case we had some rough nights sometimes and that was just purely because plans changed uh unexpected challenges you know you just had that was part of the challenge like I just had to think on my feet a lot and um I take it on the chin that tonight wasn't going to be as luxurious as like 
green grass, nice flowing river to like wash in, you know, sunshine and blue skies. It wasn't like there were definitely those days. But in terms of camping, I just tried to get somewhere that was practical enough to tick those boxes each night so we could get ready for the next day and crack on and hopefully find a better spot. Again, just going back to planning, and I I remember a document you sent through and it was amazing actually, it was all broken down into stages, but I I do remember at the time you quoting Eisenhower that no battle plan survives contact with the Uh, enemy. That was, yeah, again, you'll have to wait for the film, but there is a character that I, I meet on this journey who... And that one line, which is, uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, that stuck with me throughout. And I mean, as an expedition guide and from my experience, you know, at sea and everything, I I knew that in deep down, like I I kind of had already carried that, but but this occasion defined it for me, what that real meaning is. And especially because I was making these decisions on my own uh, for not just me, for the pony too, I just slowly let go like I I had to let go with having a plan and I had to go with the flow (laughs) literally had to go with the flow and become more adaptable mentally and physically to what what I face each day and I think that's the beauty of what this whole thing was it it just taught me so much and and it was the aim of this for me like I I just learned so much about my capability outdoors and I learned to trust not only the pony but myself in terms of decision making I mean I'm I'm only breaking the surface in terms of what what else there is out there to learn about yourself through expeditions but this was definitely that that breaking point and I'm really excited to like keep breaking that and learn more about my capability outdoors so I think that's what I'm so pleased about is I, I I scratch that surface and yeah, you just had to be flexible and I, I had to let go. And I'm not very good at letting go and relaxing. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> There's definitely something I've learned over the years in travelling with horses where, you know, friendly folk, people just appear out of nowhere. Oh. And, you know, so somewhere all of a sudden there's somewhere to stay or you wake up in the morning and somebody's left some eggs outside your tent or just all, all stuff like that. What was people's reactions, you know, when you're coming through the highlands with this pony what did people think oh firstly I did not expect the reactions I got from people as I traveled through because I I I don't think I was that shocked by it about what I was doing and I I've never really thought too much about it in that sense so I kind of went in a little bit naive to what other people might think and there were occasions and it all sort of started when I was up this pretty crazy mountain called Falcon, uh, coming over the Falcon Ridge um, from Kinlockhorn to Shill Bridge. And that was rough terrain. And I took a big risk going up there in terms of getting the pony through. And we faced several challenges on that route. But I remember meeting people up there. Funnily enough, one lady was from Shropshire. I was like, whoa, OK, this is crazy. This is such a small world. But I met every generation in the space of uh, two days over this over this mountain range that um, were totally shocked by this pony and I just walking over like all these like crazy, boggy, uh, steep, ridge like terrain. And it, it totally blew their brains. I got Pansy got so many apples that day <laughs> and polo mints from passers by on this ridge like and uh yeah also she had her photograph taken that day so many times 
it just blew my mind that that shocked people so much because it's how it used to be. But there was a massive appreciation for it. And then from then on out, I... It, the whole meeting of people like meeting people on my travels uh it was so special from what uh, initially this expedition was a solitary endeavor like last year it was supposed to be all about a solitary endeavor scratch that completely scratch that this was all about community and the people i met and generosity and i i i met so many fantastic characters that have had a massive influence on me and quite literally, as you said, like they usher you in off the road and give you a place to stay. Like the amount of paddocks we got on the way, just like I just camped in people's paddocks. And um, Pansy had like Pansy Pansy lived the life of luxury. Like I know she's worked really hard, but she has had some pretty luxurious grass on this tra- on this journey. Like she has eaten well. Yeah total generosity from awesome people and also information and knowledge like local knowledge of the areas like the estate managers local stalkers they have assisted me I would not have been able to get to the destination without them like it they their knowledge is just helped me so much because they know these areas so well and they also have worked with highland ponies um so it, it they've re- yeah the me- meeting the people along the way ha- really made it for me in so many ways like it was amazing <laughs> yeah i wasn't prepared for it though you've mentioned a little bit about uh the steep slopes and the bog so t- let's talk a little bit about you know the that what what were the hazards and how did you how did you navigate you know because if the trail isn't signed so kind of going a little bit blind ahead i mean you're navigating with a map and compass yeah i had a garmin in reach but a map can only tell you so much about the route that you're taking, um, especially with a pony. It's really hard to define because there were many, many obstacles, most of which were man-made obstacles that sort of prevented us from moving forward or caused delays in moving forward, which was was quite interesting. One example being I spent a very, very long day hiking to reach a dam and reaching that dam... It, the question was, could I get round it? I mean, you'll have to watch the film to find out whether I, how and whether I do go about getting around it or over it or whatever. But it 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 was man made objects that really, really caused more struggle with moving forward. Deer fencing, whether gates were locked or unlocked. Yeah, you just never knew whether you could get a pony around it because it's it like hiking trails and hiking routes are made for two legs rather than four legs most of the time. Cattle grids, that's another one. Like, yeah, it was really challenging. And the Cape Wrath route itself isn't designed for ponies. So I had to detour around those, like really read the map as best I could, but mostly ask people about their knowledge of the area. Um, and then Bog was a big factor which I was quite nervous about because I don't have that much experience in boggy terrain and from what I've learned whether it's like you can walk on boggy terrain with two feet but a pony being a lot lot heavier uh, and a wider spread of weight when they walk on that same spot they can disappear into it so it it's really really tricky to to know what's safe and what isn't safe for a pony so I've 
uh, from local knowledge, I really tried to learn when not to go. And there was one particular area that I decided not to go. And it involved a sheep trailer and uh, oh, a swift zip round to the other side. Um, but it was another whole experience where I got to meet someone awesome and chat about some like crazy things. Turns out that fellow is a pack, a pony pack maker for stalking oh, no saddles. Way. Which I need to put you in touch with. <laughs> um, yeah, no way. I didn't he, know that. Wow. He, he makes saddles for for Highland ponies for stalking, and it's something like for the for the, gar- the garrons. You call yeah, them garrons, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he weaves the baskets as well, the wicker baskets. And I was like, oh, his name's Norman, um, and he's the estate manager for Kinlock Kinlock U Forest Estate, and he used to work on a beautiful estate called Letter U, which still uses highland ponies to um to go stalking and carry the deers and the the hinds and the stags and he's made all the packs for those ponies he's a real character and he knows how to read the ground and where not to go with a pony so meeting him was was a, a pretty um a uh, crucial moment for me and it was very well timed conveniently timed <laughs> perfect yes really cool and then obviously the weather uh we had proper scottish weather i didn't really expect anything less and that pony oh my gosh she doesn't care what the weather is like i mean of course she's a fell pony you get crazy weather in the lake district but we have had 60 knots of wind and we have had oh like torrential rain luckily it wasn't crazy cold um and then i suppose the other biggest challenge we faced were ticks I did not prepare myself in mentally for ticks really enough definitely not in hindsight but poor pansy she did she got absolutely eaten by them and I spent an hour every evening trying to remove as many as I could from her and from myself like it was quite scary because like you could cover yourself but you they'd still get on you and in in your sleeping bag and oh it's all quite like grim but you know you just learn to get over it um and obviously Lyme disease is a quite a life-changing uh condition to to get so that was scary I look back and I was probably a little bit blasé about it about them getting on me I was more concerned about the pony (laughs) but um she did really well it has apparently been the worst year for ticks yet So this is the bit of the show everybody's waiting for. This is um, the bit of the show where I ask my guests each week to call the herd home. So I'm going to step back from the microphone a little bit and I'm going to call my mares as, as if I'm calling them down for some hay in the winter. Okay. So I'm going to go first and then you're going to call Pansy as if you're calling her down from the side of the fells, the highlands, okay? Come on! Come on! home, Pansy! <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, I should probably brilliant. say, walk on, walk on, Fancy. Yeah. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, why not come and join the herd at Patreon and help us continue to provide great content for free. So come and join the herd at patreon.com slash fellpony. So before you set off, we, we had a bit of discussion, didn't we, about shoes or boots, mm. equi boots, hoof boots, whatever you want to call them. Yes. 
we kind of talked it through quite a bit, didn't we? Because what we didn't want to happen was to use to be caught out in the middle of nowhere on your own with the shoes half on, hang, half hanging off. Especially with the bog, yeah. You know, I've been out on treks and I've lost a shoe on the first day just in mm. wet ground. It's, re- it's really easily done. Yeah, it probably yeah. just overreaches a little bit and you're in bog, off it comes, sucked off. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you use both. So how, how did the boots work out? How, tell me about that. How did that work out? So I kind of marched into the expedition uh, thinking, oh, these are going to work really great. And and I mean, I've never really worked with uh, rubber boots before. So I... Me, me neither. It was, it, was a, it was a leap of faith. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably a little bit cocky about it, uh, I think, about the whole thing. But I, long story short, they, they didn't work on an endurance side, uh, the long wearing of them. And it was rocky. So she needed them. Like she needed that protection on her feet it wasn't all grass or or like but like it or spongy train it, it was hard it was going a, it was a hard going train and she with time and the wet it caused friction at the back of her heel and they just started to rub her fur away and uh caused raw patches and you could tell she was really uncomfortable and then i once i saw those hot spots um we wrapped uh, Grace, the director of the film coming out, she's a horsey girl too. So between the two of us, on the first day we'd I'd sort of noticed the rubbing. I got Grace to help me like wrap Pansy's feet right up with vet wrap to try and put a barrier between the fur and the boot. And she looked like some little show jumping pony, <laughs> and it was so funny because they were two different colours on her front feet, and we ah, oh, it was really funny. And she was kind of looking at me like, "What are you doing?" um it was really funny but I I thought that worked but she just so was not happy like and I'd been taking the boots off and on depending on the train I was really working them uh for what we were walking on and it it just wasn't working anyway with time because I was taking them off now more than she was having them on her shoes wore down to the point where her frog was protruding her hoof so whatever she walked on it was causing her discomfort and I felt utterly awful and there was this one day after she'd been out on the hills for 24 hours with two highland ponies having a grand old time I thought she'd be really sprightly to go off and that day she was really not happy and I thought it's because she was leaving the ponies so I didn't really put the two together until the following day when I realized no she's not comfortable like she's just not comfortable uh and she only wanted to walk on grass even if the if it was tarmac, like flat tarmac, no, she was not happy. So it was a very excruciating day of trying to get this pony down a mountainside. Uh, it should have been a very straightforward day, like logistically and, and the type of terrain, like the route. But because of her discomfort, it became a very mentally challenging day for me and a very physically challenging day for her. Yeah, we were both exhausted, drained by the end of that day. And I knew at that stage, like, I would not be able to continue this expedition without getting her shod. So that was the next challenge we faced. And you'll have to watch the film to find out how that goes about it. Yeah, well, I, I, actually, I know what happened there. So that's yeah, yeah. amazing. And that was just a whole other amazing part of it, wasn't it? You know, yeah, totally. Again, getting people just, involved in community really, yeah. like, pays off. And, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was really and... and and kind of what I found whenever I'm travelling with horses is that pe- people know you're coming before you've even got there oh because God, yeah. word just travels up the valley. Oh, 
the whole route I met people and they were like we've heard about you I was like how (laughs) (laughs) who are you how and then I'd get messages on social media from people being like my my niece and my nephew met you on the hillside the other day and I'm now following you (laughs) it was really nice yeah Uh, no amazing cool right okay let's talk about food so, so on the trek, what, what did you eat? Because when I run my treks with groups, we've got four or five ponies. Mm, you can carry all the luxuries, can't you? But you were there with only one pony. So, so how did you go for food? What, what did you do? Um, I narrowed it down massively. And actually, this is where the Svalbard expedition uh, up in the Arctic, uh, what I learned on the food front from them and how to minimise it, but get enough calories into you that you were energised for what you were doing. Yeah, I I followed that similar regime. So just to put it into perspective, I was um, my step count for the day would be about 50,000 steps and I'd be burning about two and a half thousand active calories. So I was burning a lot of energy and I had to replace that all the whole time in order to make big decisions and uh, momentum and be sustainable for this whole trip. I had to eat a lot of food. But how do you narrow that down into compact little bags that you want to carry with you throughout? So my breakfast was what I call a breakfast bomb. And it's protein powder, Nesquik chocolate powder, uh, quick oats and crushed pecans. And I measured them out into portion sizes uh, into a little bag and put them into my day bag. So alongside that, I'd have pot noodle, instant pot noodles at lunch. And then for dinner, I had a rehydration pack, which was 800 calories of food on that. It's by Expedition Foods. Uh, And you just pour hot water into all three of those meals to make them consumable. So my only uh, job each day in terms of being able to eat food was to boil water. And I just had a little jet boil for that. And I even got down to the point where in the morning I'd boil enough hot water to fill up a thermos so that all I had to do at lunch was pour that pre-boiled hot water into my pot noodles and that is more of a safety thing because if I caught myself on a mountainside where I was bitterly bitterly cold trying to make a big decision I knew I had instant food ready for me it's crucial like it's so 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 crucial and then alongside those three main meals I had fruit and nut mix I'd eat 150 grams of chocolate each day and a protein uh, grenade bar and then I had some bravita biscuits as well uh, and also I had polo mints in my pocket for Zed Pony, who <laughs> loved a little treat now and again. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, that that's how I made it work. And it, it really did work. And it's really light load. It takes a lot of prep. Um, but once it's there, it's, it's so functional. Oh, cool. That's really interesting. Really interesting. Mm. It wasn't luxury though. There's not, there was nothing luxury about my food. I didn't, uh, that's, yeah, I wanted to try and make it as efficient as possible for survival purposes, I suppose. The routine for this was influenced quite heavily by the routine I had in the Arctic. I'd get up at six and I'd have three hours. Uh, depending on what I'd planned for like the day, I'd either leave by eight or leave by nine. It was quite nice to have quite a relaxed morning. It was my chance to gather myself, have a nice breakfast, move Pansy onto more grass, um, sort of re-look at my route for the day, judge the weather. Yeah, it was a nice time period to collect myself before a hard day. 
So there was never real any, there wasn't ever any major rush in the mornings. And I kind of allowed myself that. And then if say I left at nine o'clock, we'd then walk for two hours. And that seemed to be a pretty good time frame. It was a little bit tricky at the beginning, but halfway through week one, it just became the structure. And I think Pansy got used to it as well as me. So we walked for two hours, then we'd have half an hour of break where I'd just take the packs off off Pansy, but not the saddle. And she'd just have her head grazing. She wouldn't need a lead rope. I'd have some snacks and make sure I was drinking enough water. Then I'd redo her girth, reload up and carry on for another two hours. Um, At which point I'd find somewhere for lunch. And that's when Pansy would have everything taken off her. She knew she could relax for an hour and hopefully there'd be a good amount of grass and I'd just chill, have my pot noodles, make myself a like coffee, hot chocolatey thing and just chill. And then we'd repeat that same thing in the evenings. Like we had plenty of time, downtime, like plenty of breaks and it's actually mind blowing how you can rack up the miles without really realizing by sticking to a routine like that. And it was comfortable. I mean, the last hour of each day was always a bit knackering, but you knew you were gonna be getting in your sleeping bag soon. So yeah, that's kind of how I worked it out. So what's in your kit list? What, what did you have in, in the bags and how much weight did you carry? I got it down to 24 kilograms each side, which sounds like a lot, but actually it's everything I carried, I, I actually really needed. I There wasn't much that I didn't use. And especially when I was carrying quite, a lot of food it evened out quite nicely and I had a day bag so that would be things like my grab bag so any like instant tools that I needed I'd have a spare coat and a jumper in there I'd have my medical kit and I'd have things like my hat and gloves in that bag and then within that same pack I'd put Pansy's gear so like her tether her brushes her medical kit any spare ropes and things like that so that would kind of define one side of the packs the other side would kind of be like what we use to set up camp each night so that would be like my my tent sleeping bag sleeping mat my personal clothing and then the last few bits I'd kind of spread out amongst the two packs to kind of even out the weight. So things like the water and the food, the coats that I wasn't wearing because it was warm or not raining, water shoes so I could grab them quickly if we got to a river crossing and I felt it was appropriate to take my boots off. Yeah, that's kind of how I weighed it. And it was amazing, actually, as time went on, I was able to predict it and it got really easy. And I still check the weight every time. But it got to a, it got down to a fine art of 24 and 24 on each side. So that was quite nice. Yeah, it worked really well, actually. So my next question is really, you know, what have you learned from this expedition? And I used to do a lot of work in schools, actually. And in schools, it was always what went well and even better if. I think, firstly, that this whole experience was totally made by having that pony with me. Like, 
the experience of building trust and the connection, especially because we were eye level with one another. I wasn't riding her. I could read her and like see her expressions. And I think that's how we connected bond wise. And it was utterly amazing. Um, so the first thing I learned from this whole trip is that I would love to work with ponies in an expedition sense again, definitely. I'm already like, what could I do? <laughs> And then the other thing was, it, it just it just put more confidence in my abilities now, and it, it's reassured me that I'm heading in the right direction, which is such a relief for me personally in my career and uh, just in myself. Um, so that was that was really lovely. And I mean, if there was things I could improve on, it's really hard to say because I honestly enjoyed every moment, even the challenges, because I I learned from the early challenges and they improved. With, as I went on with later I learned to deal with the challenges better as I went along I learned that it's about the journey and not the destination I think that is like a key line that I would say about this whole thing and I think this adventure industry has there's a lot of pressure about reaching the highest peak and running the fastest along a crazy trail and doing all these like for the sake of what like you I feel like we lose the experience the process of the the journey and I have de I definitely am guilty for that too but this pony having this pony with me taught me to slow down she dictated the speed she dictated where we went and I had to accept that and it taught me to just go with the flow and I think that's such an important message for like my generation particularly. Just go and enjoy it for what it is. It's not about reaching anywhere in the end. And I'm definitely gonna take that into my next, my all future expeditions. And I hope I learn more about that. It's really, really interesting to me that you said that. And especially about the thing about being on the eye level because I, from time to time I do get people commenting on my social media well if you've got a pony why wouldn't you be riding it and I think they just don't get it actually because um because there is something on the same eye level is a totally different relationship yeah. with the pony yeah and I think the other thing you're, that's coming across there is also you know the speed of travel you just slow down <laughs> you see the world on a wholly different way because it's actually many much of the time it's much slower with a pony than it is just walking on your own even now i'm walking around with my hands behind my back <laughs> because i've got this like pace and like just holding the lead rope behind me and stuff and like even it got to the point where i didn't have to hold that lead rope anymore she just followed she knew her job and we both just had our rhythm and our pace and there are and she trotted to keep up with me sometimes it was really funny <laughs> but like yeah there's no rush like there is no rush like enjoy the people you meet along the way what you see you open your eyes to the wildlife and the locations i even noticed as i was driving home from finishing that I was just taking in so much more on that journey home, like the colour of the heather, for example, or like, I was like, oh, look at that river. That looks like such a nice river. Like, oh my gosh, who have I become? But it was, you just learn to appreciate what's in front of you. You had many, many people following your journey on, on all the social media and, and I was following the sat-nav. I think a few people were following yeah. me every day, just looking <laughs> at the sat-nav, which is amazing. And I think perhaps what sparks an interest in people is you're fulfilling many people's dreams actually by undertaking that journey. Were you aware of how much 
it would affect people, this journey? Not at all. I honestly, the messages and the response I have received from what I've done with Pansy has utterly blown my mind and has hit me emotionally. Like the comments and people relating to this experience from their past experiences. And as you say, like, people have wanted to do this type of thing and they haven't got round to it yet or they haven't had the chance or the opportunity. And, yeah, it really... I was just utterly blown away by that. And and, and just meeting people along the way uh, who had heard about what I was doing. Oh, you're the girl with the pack pony walking the highlands. I was like, hello. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I... I Initially, couldn't quite put my finger on what it was that were turning people's heads or causing people to follow this story and this journey that I was talking about through social media. And um, I still still don't think I quite understand what it is. Um, Because to me, it felt very normal. But it's not normal. (laughs) I don't know quite how to describe it. but So I've been thinking about it a lot over the years as well and and I think what it is is that there's a very very deep connection deep in the psyche between people and horses it just goes so it's so, so deeply imprinted in people yeah yeah totally I, I also think with the the landscape we were walking in someone said to me oh I think it's just seeing such a traditional way of travel against such old roads and old landscapes and I, I suppose, like, we just fitted the landscape. And I think people were like, it just, like, it was a, a picture. Every Everywhere we went, it, it just sort of was like a painting um, with the backdrop that we had. Whoever passed, they were like, whoa, 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 <laughs> what's going on, you know? And I think that was really nice because people really appreciated it for what it was. Simplest, simple travel, you know? There was nothing complex about... I know there's like the logistics and stuff, but in terms of a girl and her pony walking the highlands, like... Amazing. No, you've got it there. Um, right, okay. So we're coming to the end of the show. Yo. I've got three quick questions for you. Yeah. Um, and the first question is... What, um, actually, I know actually you might give me a different answer here because I'm going to give you two options, but I think there's probably a third. So I always ask the same questions. Ride or drive? Ride, because I grew up riding. Yeah, I was going to say maybe pack, actually. Yeah, you should say pack. I mean, I'd say pack over ride. This is probably a no-brainer, actually. Favourite fell pony or line of fell ponies in the history of the breed? (laughs) Favourite fell pony pansy, always. Yeah, of course. Of course it is. (laughs) You're not allowed to have favourites, though, right? (laughs) No, I know you're not allowed to. And I said that, but yeah. Haytill pansy the third, technically she is. Yeah. Um, uh, And this is a no-brainer as well. Black, brown, bay or grey? because they're easy easy to clean and you can keep them dirty (laughs) yeah cool wow well eliza it's been really amazing to catch up i I mean i've I've just loved every minute of that whole expedition i'm so so glad you pulled it off i'm so glad you you even asked if it could happen (laughs) just the whole thing has just been brilliant to watch really really brilliant to watch oh thank um, you for everything i've got more reason to thank you honestly uh, having that pony and you've given me an opportunity of a lifetime like I would not have been able to do it, so... 
Well, you've well you've you've grasped it you've grasped it by the teeth and run as hard and as fast as you can with it. So fair play, totally yeah. fair play. Pre warning, um, this does mean I might ask you more crazy questions about future expedition <laughs> ideas. I'm just preparing yeah. you for what might be on the horizon. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> bring Come on, here's on. here's two more here's some more expeditions and adventures. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, amazing. Okay, right, nice one, Eliza. I'll see you on the side of a hill with a pony in your hand somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, and I can't wait to show you the film. You're going to love it. I look forward to it. All right, catch you later. Bye. Listening back to that conversation, what comes over very strong from Eliza is that travelling with horses or ponies is so much more about the journey than the destination and how you can connect with a pony on a whole new level just by going for a walk. Any journey with a pony is time well spent and what you can learn about yourself in doing so can be truly life-changing. Thank you all so much for joining me on this special edition of the Felpony Podcast. If you liked it, please do me a favour and share this episode on your social media. It would really help us to get the word out. I would especially like to thank my patrons who have supported me on this journey and made all these podcasts possible. So why not come and join the Patreon herd and help us keep this podcast alive? I will be back with Series 3 very soon, but in the meantime, I wish you all well. See you next time.